So today we are wrapping up. We've been on a seven-week journey, and if this is your first week, no worries. You're in a good spot, and what we're going to do today stands on its own two feet. But we've been on a seven-week journey really all about how do we live every day out of this deep identity that God has given us where he pronounces that we are his beloved children. How does that actually fuel our entire life? How do we live out of that place uh, it's a series we've called Made for More. We're made for more than to just kind of be robots through life or just to acquire things. We're made to be people who experience the deep love of God, and then out of that, we get to go help heal the world, right? That's who we are. People become in the church on the mission with Jesus to help heal the world. So today, we're going to wrap that up. And this identity piece, though, the reason we keep coming back to it, it is the key to everything. It's actually why we do what we do every day. It's what drives us and how we see ourselves, how we see others, how we see the world. It is everything. So we come back to it. So I was thinking about that, and I think it's important to point out identity because there are things that at times work against our identity, right? I was thinking about this guy that I've really appreciated his work, Henry Nowen, and he talked about these five lies of identity. And I bet this has been our common experience where sometimes we experience like uh, this undercurrent or a voice that says, I am what I have. So I like have like my possessions, my education, my health, my friends, my job. But if those things get shaken, then sometimes it's like, oh, who am I? What do I have? Am I going to be okay? How does this work out? You with me? Sometimes we're tempted, I think, to think that's our identity, but it doesn't take us really where God has designed us to go and where we long to go. Another one he points out is, I am what I do. Have any of you ever kind of felt this one? I am what I do. And I'm all for achievement and let's build something with our lives, but there's got to be something more than just what I do. And I'll give you even a, a low bar, but example of this. Have any of you ever um, played pool with Jim or Rich? So, so some of us tend to get together and play pool periodically, and you're totally invited. If you want to do it, like, let's do it. Um, I just realized pretty early on that when I play pool, if I play either of those two guys, I'm going to lose. Um, I'm a guy who likes to try and grow and become, but it's not going to happen. It doesn't matter how much I try. They're going to beat me. And this notion of I am what I do, I'm just going to tell you. If I think, like, you know, that's the thing to my identity, every time we do our pool nights, I'm going to go home a wreck. And Hannah's like, you're never going again. So, uh, but it happens in other parts of our lives too, right? There's this false kind of voice that we are what we do, but we're more than that. Another one now and points out is, I am what other people say or think of me. Anyone ever kind of had a wrestling match with that one? Uh, both on things big and even small. My daughter Lucy, she's 10 almost, and every day now she's like, she used to be like, oh, Dad, you're everything. Now she's like, Dad, you're weird. And I'm like, I don't know what to do with that. But again, now and says, in all of our life, there's something more than that lie about identity. He says this one too, I'm nothing more than my worst moment. I think some of us have felt that lie, that voice, the mistakes we've made. And I raise my hand, I have tons of them. And I don't know if you're like me, but there have been seasons in my life I felt stuck. And like I was kind of just not able to get out of a rut because of that one. And it really kind of uh, gripped on and didn't take me into anything that was good. Another one he points out, and again, this is why we're leaning into identity, because these things are so pervasive. We all know them. Another one he points out, the wording's a little unique, so I wanted to talk about it briefly. He says, I'm nothing less than my best moment. So he talked about our worst moment and our best, and that's a little bit of a different wording, but I think what he's saying is, and I've experienced this, there are times we, we do great things, but there can be this temptation to let the ego be inflated or think I am the self-made person and I'm not a beloved child of God. I can handle this all on my own. 
And I think now in saying, whether it's the first one, I am what I have, all the way down to that one, these things don't take us home. They don't take us into love. They don't take us into becoming. They don't take us into flourishing. And this whole series has been about our identity and flourishing because there's another voice, a better voice, a more lasting voice, a more true voice, the voice of love that instead of saying those things says, no, you are my dearly beloved. And we see it first in Jesus. It's a scene I go to over and over again. It's what this whole series has really been built on, following Jesus into this. But there's a scene where Jesus is baptized. Last week we celebrate baptism. Wasn't that so good? Celebrate with Max. This was good. So Jesus at his baptism, he comes up out of the water and we hear these words. The voice that we call God says, this is my dearly loved son who brings me joy, great joy. And did you know that's the same voice speaking those same words over you every single second of every single day? That is who you are and nothing will ever change it. And it is so I think important that we ground ourselves in that. We return to that. And that's what this whole series has been about. That's what we're about as a people. Because out of that, it leads us then to be free in the world, to help heal the world, to go where God has sent us, to be ourselves and see all kinds of good stuff happen. There's a guy I really appreciate, David Benner, who talks about this in his great little book called The Gift of Being Yourself. Listen to how he talks about it. He says, Christians affirm a foundation of identity that is absolutely unique in the marketplace of spiritualities. Whether we realize it or not, our being is grounded in God's love. Love is our identity and calling. Neither knowing God or knowing self can progress very far unless it begins with a knowledge of how deeply we are loved by God. In order for our knowing of God's love to be truly transformational, it must become the basis for our identity. Our identity is who we experience ourselves to be, the I each of us carries within. And identity grounded in God would mean that when we think of who we are, the first thing that would come to mind is our status as someone who is deeply loved by God. So may I say this today, however you came in, may that become more of your reality today. As you think of yourself, I pray and hope that this experience today moves you a little forward down the path of knowing that's who you are, beloved. That's what this whole series has been about. And so as we've looked at the series, we've leaned into what Benner talks about, the relationship of identity and calling or how we live our lives out in the world, how we actually do give ourselves to help heal the world. And we've looked at a number of practices that we kind of shorthand call Mission 7. They're things like this. Follow Jesus wherever he leads. Commit to forgiveness in all your relationships. Commit to community. Invest in the mission. See the face of Jesus and everyone you meet and reorder your life around the mission. And this week, I was thinking about those things in this moment, and literally, I thought of you. I saw your faces pop up on my radar as I thought of those practices. And I want you to hear this. I keep seeing you live this stuff out. I was thinking, Troy and Rachel, about uh, your lives that moved you from Arizona here, and then you're moving towards your next thing of launching some good news work on the University of Washington campus, this notion of following Jesus wherever he leads. I thought of you. I thought of so many of you committing to forgiveness, both being honest before God of who you are, the confession and that way of living, but also the good, hard work of being someone who forgives others. And here's what we all know in forgiveness. Like, we don't get to 
make the call on whether reconciliation happens in a complete way. That takes the other person too. But I've seen so many of you lean into being people of forgiveness, extending that good work. I was thinking about the idea of committing to community, and I had the good fortune a couple weeks ago, Donna Marshallin sitting around the fire pit with you guys, and Marshallin, I don't think, I mean, you embody this, the way you make room for people. I think many of us have seen that, people both who are part of your church family, but all these friends you've had through life, right? Like, you do that. You're on the mission. It's beautiful. I think of investing in the mission. I'll never forget during February when we heard Danny's story of putting his orchard on the mission, literally putting his resources on the mission. And Josh said this a minute ago, so many of you invest in the mission over and over and over and over and over again. (laughs) Thanks, Reese. I thought about seeing the face of Jesus in everyone you meet. And I don't know how many of you had the chance to meet my friend Heidi, but uh, Heidi, you're always present. And the way you spend time with people and you see people, that you do that. You see the face of Jesus. Like, you do that. I was thinking about this idea of reordering our lives around the mission. And I don't know, how many of you know Caleb? Look right back there. He's running sound today. Okay, Caleb is a college student who grew up here, graduated, went across the water to college, and decided he wanted to come back this summer. And he's literally putting his calendar and his life on the mission. He is jumping in with our team in every conceivable way. You'll see him all over the place doing all kinds of things. You're doing it. And I could name so many more of you, and I just wanted to take that moment because this series hasn't been just about information. It's been about who we're becoming out of our identity. And can you just hear me say this? I love who we're becoming together. There's a text later in the New Testament of the Bible, 1 Thessalonians. In the early part of that letter, Paul says to these early churches, we don't even have to say anything anymore. You're the mission. And can you just hear me say that? You are the mission and beautiful things are happening out of who we're becoming through these practices as our identity leads us into all this goodness. And so today we're going to spend our time on the last practice. It's really this. Let's take some people with us on the mission. And so we're going to look at that together. And what we're going to do to get there is look at the Gospel of John. It's one of those biographies of Jesus we have in the New Testament. And um, I want to read John chapter 14, verses 1 through 14 with you. And it'll be on the screen, so would you do this? We'll read the text, look at some observations, and then land on how we help invite people to come along or take someone on the mission with us. But would you lend your voice? Would you read this text aloud with me this morning? You good for that? Feel good? All right, let's do it together. John chapter 14, 1 through 14. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my Father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When I have everything ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I'm going. No, we don't, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. And from now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Jesus replied, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? 
Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. Just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe because of the work you have seen me do. I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I am going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name, and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name, and I'll do it. So I want to point your attention to a few things that I think are really beautiful and helpful to notice. That opening part, don't let your hearts be troubled. There is more than enough room for you and everyone everywhere. Did you hear in Jesus' words, as he's speaking to those friends and through the Spirit continues to speak to us, he was going away from them. Things were about to change. And we all know what change is like. It happens all the time. And it can evoke fear. It can invoke anxiety. It can invoke this notion of worry. But he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. I've got you. You're included. And there is so much room and belonging for you and for everyone. That is good news, right? And I was thinking about that whole reality, and I thought of this day. I don't know if you know this, but all around the world today, Jesus' followers are celebrating a momentous occasion that really kick-started the church's life, known as Pentecost. It's an interesting word. All it means is basically from Easter to Pentecost, you're 50 days in. And it actually was rooted in an ancient Hebrew festival that Jesus would have participated in, that his family and friends would have participated in. And here's what would go on during those times. They lived in an agrarian society. So as people grew what they grew, and God made it grow, and they very much had an understanding that they did their part, but God was the one who made it grow. They would bring the first fruits, if you will, of what they had grown, the harvest. And they would bring it in, and they would offer it to the Lord, and they would celebrate, and they would feast, and they would just spend some open time together in festival. And so it was during one of those occasions, so we're talking about John's gospel today, one of the gospels, what Jesus says and does. If you keep going in the scriptural story, you get to Acts. Acts is how not only what Jesus did, but what Jesus' followers do that look like him. What this text talks about, people doing the same stuff Jesus did. So in the early pages of Acts, it was during that festival in Jerusalem, the city is full of people and some stuff begins to happen. Jesus' followers who had been with him from resurrection to when he ascended to the Father are gathered in a place, and all of a sudden the Spirit, which Jesus promises later in John 14, the one who will come and continue the work he had been doing, the one God who is always with us, empowered these people to begin speaking in the languages of all these pilgrims who had filled the city. Literally, you can read in Acts 2.11, People were just kind of blown away. They say, we hear all these people speaking languages or in our languages about the wonderful things God has done. And that's the key. The Spirit had just enabled people who hadn't learned these languages to speak in these languages of all these folks who had gathered from all over the known world. And what were they hearing? They were hearing stories about God's goodness and presence and grace and mercy and love and all good stuff. And it captivated their hearts to the point that they wanted to hear more. A sermon broke out. People start following Jesus. It's a beautiful story. Why do I say that? 
Because even in this John 14 text where Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place and there's so much room for you and everybody, that is the truth. That is the truth that all around the world today, people are remembering and celebrating. There's enough room for all the nations. There's enough room for all the peoples from all the backgrounds. There's enough room for all the pilgrims, all the seekers, all who are longing. Everyone you know, there is room for. There is room for you. And I love that about Jesus, the inclusive, radical, open nature of the good news that he shows us and brings. If you go down that Acts story on this Pentecost day, they also, though, talked about the implications. Like, it's not just kind of the breadth, if you will, of inclusion, but I also say it's almost the up and down, meaning generations. Acts 2.17 says, Your children will boldly speak the word of the Lord. Young warriors will see visions. Your elders will dream dreams. What God is putting together, where there's enough room for everybody, is we all get to play. Like everybody. Uh, Josh and Kelly mentioned the Connect Night on Thursday night. And there's a picture. Um, Gregory, so we're playing volleyball. I'm just going to throw out a pro tip. If you ever come to a Connect Night and you might be volleyball present, you should bring shorts and other attire. I did not, and it did not work out so well. But nonetheless, um, Gregory, I love that photo, and I wish this one were a little more clear, but that's Jerry serving up a wicked serve on the volleyball court. And there was something as I looked at these pictures that captured me. It's what we're talking about today. This thing that Jesus is building is so inclusive. It spans all ages from Gregory to Jerry, everyone in between. It's good, right? We're all in this together. The God that we serve that Jesus reveals to us is a God of generations, a God who welcomes everybody. You actually see, I don't know if you've ever read any of the Old Testament, you see shorthand of this generational inclusion where often you'll hear uh, God present himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, these generations of people. And he's doing the same work today. And the gospel spreads through generations. It's why we believe so much in the next wave. It's why we host kids camp. It's why we pour our energy into our camps. It's so good, and we're in it together. Like, Cynthia, I know I think you sign up to be part of, like, middle school camp, and you're going to be in a cabin with young ladies, and I love it, this intergenerational reality that we're talking about. Who wants to join Cynthia? I mean, this is what we're about, right? This is what we're about, inclusion, generations. The church of Jesus is multi-generational. There is so much room and so much welcome. And the mission unites generations. It points us out of an identity rooted in love to be people who help heal the world. And I love how even in this John text, it says, so instead of being thrown or troubled, filled with anxiety, take a breath. And I don't say that lightly. I know sometimes we can walk through things and we need, we actually need to walk through some help and therapy and things, and I'm very for that. What I'm also saying, though, is make room for the God of the ages to speak. And would we hear his voice today? Don't let your hearts be troubled. I got you. And I have so much room for you and everyone you know. So let's lean into this together. Another observation from the text I feel like we have to point out. And just like identity, we're going to keep coming back to this because it's everything. And this was what captured me and actually led me down the path to follow Christ. And I think it's what still captures all of us. Because we can talk about God in these big kind of sweeping terms. And there's a healthy mystery, I think, in our understanding of God. But we still need some help in, like, how do I know God? How do I conceive and practice and live with God? And one thing this text points out that's so beautiful is Jesus is what God is like. If you ever wonder, what is God like? 
Jesus is what God is like. In John 14, the text we just read, verses 9 and 10, did you hear these words? Anyone who has seen me, Jesus said, has seen the Father. Don't you believe that I am in the Father, the Father's in me? There is this no separation, this reality. When we've seen Christ, we've seen the fullness of God. Literally, Colossians 1.15, later in the New Testament says that. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. And I just want to say that because that was so helpful for me. I would hear people talk about God and, and take little snippets about the God who was faceless and unknown as a child and as a young man, and it really kind of wrecked me. But then I met Jesus through the good work and presence of some friends. And then later I was sitting in a class, and a really uh, helpful professor in my life, a guy named Dan Bruner, made this statement, and, and it summed up my experience. God, Jesus is fully God in the sense that he's fully divine and fully human. But it's that humanity, the one we get to see, we can follow that. And that was such good news for me. And it still is good news for me. Jesus is what God is like. And I love how when he's talking about what he's like, he paints this beautiful picture in the language of John 14. And some of us know it this way. We read it. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. There's another rendering um, that I've really appreciated. There's a newer translation called the First Nations Version of the Bible. Um, and, and that same text is rendered this way. Jesus says, I'm the pathway. I'm the truth about who God really is and the life of beauty and harmony he offers to all. And I was thinking about Jesus being the pathway. Every summer, my family and I, we go over to Glacier. I've told you some of this. I think I've told you all this. Um, and we'll do it again. We've been doing it for like 25 years or more. And there are these trails that we take. But there's this one trail that um, I want to show you this picture. Um, the trail is winding, and you don't see things, and there's really brushy overgrowth. But when you get to this one spot, it opens up into this expansive view of Avalanche Lake with the mountains all around. And I love the nature of that and getting there, but I also love the process of getting there. Even reading this text about Jesus being the pathway, it took me back to walking with my kids. So my oldest, Ethan, just turned 22 this last week. But I remember when he was a little boy. And you ever walked on a trail with a little kid, and, and it's just long enough. I think it's about three and a half miles up, and it's got a little bit of incline. And so that right before the end, he's like, I can't do it. I can't do it. And I'm like, yes, you can. We're right around the corner. And I actually did start saying that, like about 100 feet in. <laughs> We're just around the corner. Um, but there's something good about that pathway image of, like, all that we discover along the way, all that we become. And so Ethan's grown now, and he would like completely want to fight me if we didn't take this trail. It's been something meaningful for him. My daughter Lucy did the same thing, and now she can do it. And I, why I'm saying all this, Jesus is what God is like, and he's not just the divine figure that we somehow see over here. He's the one's like, I'm the path. Let's walk it together. Let's see what's around the corner. Let's open up into this vista that you've been longing for your whole life, and I got it for you. I'm taking you there. He is what God is like, and he is good, is he not? And I love that the text points this out for us. But then we hear these words, and I want to land our last few minutes here. I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me, Jesus says, will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. So let's take a poll. Do you think we can do the same works that Jesus did? Do you think we can do greater works than Jesus did? 
So let's talk about it. On the same part, what are some things that Jesus does that come to mind? Let's just spit out a few real quick. What does Jesus do? Heal the sick. Feed the hungry. Yeah, include everyone. Forgives and provides hope. Loves the unlovable. Raises the dead. Everyone's like, I think I can do everything until, wait, what? (laughs) No. (laughs) Anything else come to mind? What was it? Water into wine. Yeah, yeah. Walked on water, yeah. Calm storms. Come on, yeah. Hmm. Meets people where they are. Yep. Multiply the loaves. Yep. Make sure everybody had a good meal that night, huh? Yeah. When you hear these things, I would hope and something would open up within you today like, maybe I can do that. Why would I say that? So many of these things were really, uh, I would say, the miracle of presence, how Jesus is present with others. And I want to tell you the good news. God has given you a body to be present. You can do that. You really can. Jesus so believes in you that he said this. How do you feel about that? I hope you've had coaches and parents or others that have said at points in your life, hey, you can do this. Jesus is literally saying, you got this. Because I've given you the spirit that we again celebrate with our brothers and sisters around the world today. I know that that can really push on some of our paradigms. But Jesus actually believes that about you. And I don't know your experience with people who've believed in you or have coached you. There are different kinds of coaches, right? I've had some before that were like, go do the thing. And I'm, I'm like, I don't, I think you want me to do the thing, but I'm kind of scared of you. <laughs> like, and then there are other coaches like, you got this. I'm going to show you how to do it, and I'm in your corner. And Jesus is doing that. He's in our corner, spurring us on. And I'll just throw this out, because we won't solve it all today, but... On some of the ones that maybe feel weightier or heavier, like raising the dead. You know, I'm not God, and this is part of the mystery, but did you know there are stories in our tradition, meaning people who follow Jesus throughout the centuries, that there have been seasons where God has tapped people on the shoulder and said, you're going to do that. You're going to exercise the faith you've been given, and you're going to do that. And whether it's literal or figurative, you opening space around your table, you being with someone in their time of need and welcoming them, you can literally raise the dead. You can welcome, you can feed, you can heal. Jesus thinks this about you. Now let's talk about the greater part. Some of us, I, I'm, I'm reading the room a little bit. Some of us are like, huh, same, I need to chew on that. Okay, real quick, how many are like, yeah, we can do greater things? I felt a little drawback. Like, I actually think there was a collective sigh when I asked that question a moment. Like, what? So let's talk about it. To take the pressure off, um, what's really important to understand in the language, and it actually doesn't, like, minimize what Jesus is saying. I think it actually makes it beautiful. What the language there, the term greater is talking about, 
And I, I love the work by one scholar, Marianne May Thompson. She says, this notion of works being greater, it's because of the many followers of Jesus that actually multiply the number of his works and extend the range of his work. So think about it. Jesus lived on the planet in a very particular place. Didn't travel that far. Not that many miles. And very much located in one particular time and place. Right? Look around this room right now. Look at where we live, our addresses, our neighborhoods, our relational networks, just us in this room. And we're not even getting to Jesus's bigger church that we're a part of. We are already traveling more miles and our relational networks put us in contact with more people than Jesus actually did in his lifetime. So all of us filled with the spirit of the risen Jesus are sent into those places and literally the work is greater in the sense that it's multiplied. That is what the language is intending. Does that make sense? Now, that's pretty cool. That evokes some imagination for me, and I hope it does for you. When we're in this together, oh, what could happen? What could happen here on Bainbridge Island? What could happen beyond as we do this work together? Jesus again believes that we can and we will. The genius plan of God to help heal the world includes you. That is the legacy we are in being invited to create, to leave. And I hope that encourages you. That's something to give our life to. And I think there's a legacy principle there that I want to just name, that I think Jesus is getting at. This notion of legacy, we can spend our lives on all these things, but he's saying, what if we do the stuff he did and help heal the world? Because legacy is not only what we do, but it's who others become and what others do because of our influence. And can you imagine the stories that are going to emerge because we get to follow the resurrected Jesus and do the stuff he did? Can you imagine the good that's coming? Can you imagine the healing and the hope and all kinds of stuff that's actually going to break out in our neighborhoods? Can you see it? I pray that it bursts on our radar and our imagination. And so with that, I want us to pay attention to what Jesus is saying there and just ask the question because the practice he's getting at is, well, let's take some people on the mission with us. Let's do the stuff and let's see what happens. Let's practice this together. So a natural question I ask was, well, how would I do this? Do any of you ever wonder that? How would I do this? How would I take someone on the mission? The other language Jesus uses for is, how would we make disciples? How would I do this? So here's three things as we wrap up. One, Let's see every day as an opportunity lab. That's the language I like to use. Here's what I mean. When I woke up this morning, yeah, I have my things to do, and it's in my normal things that Jesus is both inviting me to follow him and to be transformed, but also those are the very places I get to include others. So let me ask you a quick question. Uh, real quick, let's name five things that you do most every day. So just spit them out. What's, what's five things? Uh, someone mentioned one. You brush your teeth. Eat. Exercise. Get dressed. Get dressed. What was the other one? Make coffee. Make coffee. Okay, pause real quick. Um, I'm going to leave out get dressed and brush your teeth for obvious reasons after I say this. But exercising, eating, and making coffee, could you include other people in that good work? You get why I left the other two out? <laughs> but could we include other people in making food, making coffee, exercising? Is that an easy thing where we're connected relationally to someone or like, Hey, we're going to eat anyway. We have a spot at the table for you. Hey, I'm going to be exercising anyway, and Max, I'm going to need your help if I'm going to do this right. Right? Does this make sense? 
what if every day is an opportunity lab? Instead of trying to find pressure of like, how do I get this right? What if we just see the opportunity that God's already given us? And that's a little thing I would encourage you to do. Maybe make a note today. What are the things that are already a part of my life where I can include someone else? So I'm practicing the way of Jesus, and then the stuff Jesus said I'm going to do, the same things, I'm just going to do that by offering hospitality and presence and love and space. So we see every day as an opportunity to love. The second thing, look for opportunities to have I see in you conversations. Jesus was masterful at this. Jesus all the time is engaging people with questions, and he's listening And he's doing a few things. There are times Jesus comes back and affirms what he sees in people and even gives them a new name. You've been called this, but I call you this. We get to do that for each other. We get to do that for people. I see this in you, this beautiful God image-like thing. We live in a culture where the phrase, uh, see something, say something, is known. It's too bad it's been used in the negative. Because what if with the people in our life, our kids, our friends, our neighbors, when we see something, we say something? So Jesus is always calling up like that. He's always creating those I see new conversations. And sometimes we see him doing it a different way. He spends time with someone and he notices their deep desire and he helps them name it. I see in you the desire for this thing, that the identity of belovedness that God has for you is the only thing that'll meet it. Let's go into that together. Have those I see in you conversations. Let's be good at it. Let's practice it. And then the third thing, let's be the kind of people who cultivate the virtue and patience of playing the long game. The idea of Jesus saying, everyone who follows me, believes in me, will do the same works. It's a long game. And Jesus shows us the way. When you think of the works Jesus did, I wonder if you ever find a time where you feel like he seems really nervous and in a hurry. I would challenge you. I don't think you'll see that in the gospels because he knew that this thing that God is up to, that he is up to, it's going to come around to fruition. We play the long game. We're not called to be God. We're simply called to follow our master and do the things he did. And let him bring about the ultimate good, the ultimate resurrection in our friends' lives, in our neighborhoods. And I think there's something if we take the pressure off and we play the long game. There's a morning prayer that um, has been a part of my life. It's a part of a little morning prayer. And it's the place where I begin to name my family, my friends, and all the people I think of and I'm praying for. And there's a line that comes after that gets at this idea of the long game. It says, we entrust, Lord, all who are dear to us to your never-failing love and care for this life and for the life to come. And here's the line. Knowing that you will do for them far more than we can desire or pray for. When we walk with others and we do the same works of Jesus, that line is so true. I want to point my love in that direction, but I get to take the pressure off because the God of the ages who's come in Christ loves and will accomplish way more than I ever could. I think there's something good about that. Let's play the long game with our friends. Let's play the long game with goodness and resurrection in the neighborhood. You with me? I think we're invited into that. This gospel of John starts with some followers of Jesus spending time with Jesus where he asks them, what do you want? And they unpack it together. And one of the disciples that went in and had that experience with Jesus was named Andrew. Do you know what he did after encountering Jesus? 
It says he went and got his brother, Simon, also known as Peter. Some of us who've read the gospels are like, man, Peter's kind of a prominent person in these. He never gets in the story though, unless Andrew takes him on the mission with him, invites him in. The story goes on and says, Jesus then invites another guy named Philip, who's actually from Andrew and Peter's hometown. And Philip goes and gets a guy named Nathaniel. The gospel has always worked this way, that we just bring someone with us. So here's the invitation. Who's God inviting you to bring with you? Who is God inviting you to bring with you on this journey into wholeness and goodness and love and resurrection and hope and an identity of belovedness? I would encourage you today to take some time and let that kind of swirl and name it. So let's pray together. Jesus, thank you that you root us in an identity that even though there are lots of things that want to shake it, will never be undone. Even when we come to the end of our rope, even when we may doubt, even when we may struggle, the identity that is ours of beloved daughters and sons will take us from here to forever. And out of that identity, you are inviting us to practice the kind of life, Jesus, that you practice. A life that heals, a life that sees, a life that names the good, a life that is resurrection. And I pray for my friends here today that our faith would grow in this moment, that you see us that way, you believe in us that way, and you're saying, let's go do this together and help heal the world. And as we do that, we're invited to bring someone along with us, to include them in the normal stuff we're already doing. Tables, meals, workouts, coffee, and we could keep going. So expand our imagination, Lord, of who you're inviting us right now to actually invite along the way and to take them with us. May we be a church, may we be a collective that truly leaves a legacy that others become and find their own identity and live into this goodness of the Jesus way because we simply share what we've been given. We thank you for it.